Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Go ahead and check out the description of this episode so you can find the link to our link tree, get access to all of our socials, as well as our YouTube channel so you can watch all of our episodes in full. Okay, Thursday, December 21st. Just me and you today, Justin. Zach, busy at work. Louisville is playing Kentucky in Louisville tonight. Basketball, men's basketball. Getting ready for that. Little tied up at the moment. Just me and you holding down the fort today as well as uh, for Saturday's show as well. Today, going to break down some NBA news coming up. Phoenix injured. Cavaliers injured. Interview today. Eli Savor breaking down John Morant's return to the Grizzlies as well and uh, just the resurgence of the Grizzlies over this second half of the season coming up. John Morant's back. Marcus Smart should be back as well. Break down a couple of bowl games that we that intrigue us over this next week. We'll be back on Thursday for a new show. We'll have a best of show Tuesday, uh, but we'll be back on Thursday. We'll break down all the New Year's Six Bulls at that time, but me and you will break down a couple of bowl games that intrigue us coming up uh you know over this next week as well and then of course we'll have maker faker complaintives like we always do on thursday as well but like i said starting with some nba news phoenix suns without their top three yet again bradley beal at least two weeks sprained right ankle team one game above 500 and had expectations of a championship now i want to ask if this is still possible i mean there's a lack of chemistry uh, it's definitely taking a hit on the Suns. You can see it on their bench. You can see it when they play. I mean, their chemistry is just not there. And of course, now, like I said, they are without Bradley Beal. Justin, what do you think so far about this team? And take these expectations and run with them and get to that point where they, the team, uh, the fans expect them to be, which is a true championship contender. Well, I still think they have a chance to be a, a contender for the championship, but maybe not. Maybe they're just a 7-10 to 10 in, an in-play team in the in-play in tournament, but maybe they go up to the four or five seed, but maybe they're not the number one seed in the Western Conference like we all thought. One of the biggest complaints on the team they had last year, of course, was they couldn't really capitalize on fast break opportunities. Chris Paul, of course, not on the team anymore, but yet the team still ranked near the bottom of adjusted pace in the entire league. They're not assertive on offense or defense of glass either. Their rebounding is very bad. Yusuf Nurkic uh, has been pretty anemic all year, only has 9.9 rebounds per game. Lucky for the Suns, though, there's not really top-heavy teams in the West. I mean, of course, the Timberwolves and, ironically, the Thunder sit at one and two, but they're pretty much untested and don't have a lot of experience in the postseason. So if the Suns can play more consistent, I think their experience will help them take them past some of these higher seeds. But if you're a Suns fan this early in the season, your main concern is, you know, getting a top six seed in the West, not playing one of those dreaded play-in games where, we, of course, we all know anything can happen. Cleveland Clabs also injury-prone right now. Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, out for an extended period of time. Garland fractured his jaw uh, after colliding with Przingis last Thursday, and then Evan Mobley had undergone arthroscopic knee surgery. Justin, another team that had high expectations going into this year, and this is going to be a big hit for them. They entered this season with high hopes after winning 51 regular season games last season and earning its first ever playoff berth since 2018 as well. But what do you think about uh, this Cleveland team uh, after these two injuries coming here? Definitely not good for the Cavaliers. Definitely not a team right now that 
has with the high expectations, as you just said, that is below the fifth seed. They're the sixth seed in Eastern Conference at 16-12. and 12. Uh, that that is a big loss for them. That's a those are big losses for them with Darius Garland and Evan Mobley for a long period of time too. Yep. And hopefully they can rebound, but I don't I don't know yet. I still think they could maybe get up to the fifth or the fourth seed, but they're not the same team they were last year. Donovan Mitchell trade rumors continue to spiral. Second season with the Cavs, but he's yet to commit to the organization for a long-term new contract extension. So the Cavs might have to face some hard truths and move on at some point, especially if they take a nosedive here with uh, both Mobley and Garland being out for an extended period of time because this team might struggle, you know, middle half of the season here. And it's going to be a hard, uh, hard span of time for Cavs fans, that's for sure, losing their uh, two of their top scorers and, Donovan Mitchell's going to be asked to do a lot more now going down the stretch. Last NBA news, Pistons, opposite end of the spectrum. No expectations this year, but even falling shorter than those expectations still. Actually, at the time of this recording on Thursday, Justin, they are three games away from tying the longest losing streak in NBA history. Since the 2023 All-Star break, Detroit has played 50 regular season games and has gone 4-46. and 4-46 and over the last 50 games, Justin. Minus 12 scoring margin, and it's one of the worst teams in basketball history. What are your takeaway on the Pistons? And It's brutal. I mean, they're it's bad. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Not, no one thought they would be this bad, though. 2-25, yeah. I didn't think it would be this bad either as uh... – as who was the coach? Monty Williams, I believe, mm-hmm, is the mm-hmm, Pistons mm-hmm. coach. Yep. I thought he would at least turn it around in Detroit. But 2-25 being the worst team in the NBA right now, that's just not a good sign for uh, for Detroit. Yeah. And they are probably going to have the number one pick if they win the draft lottery. And they're on their way to a top three pick. We know that. Top ten. Well, the sad part of it is it's not even like this is their first year in the rebuild it's year four one they were pretty much forced into with limited assets after you know that disastrous Blake Griffin trade fizzled into injury and it's been years now that they've been trying to rebuild and a team that's you know three four years into this into this process should still not be on a 23 game losing streak and be the worst team in NBA history it's just absolutely abysmal the Pistons have eight first round draft picks since the reset in 2019 and have yet to land on a start uh Cade Cunningham I mean he has shown flashes but I mean at the end of the day I don't think he's going to be that guy and I think Pistons fans Detroit fans would even say that too and like I said it's just been bad management front office everything has just been pretty abysmal so far we're gonna Break down two of our most intriguing bowl games coming up over the next week. Of course, next Thursday show, we will break down the New Year's Six Bowl, but we'll go over four games between the two of us that we think are intriguing coming up over the next week. But I do want to mention one news of college football outside of bowl games that, that came up uh, these last couple of days. FSU, of course, being the fifth seed, got taken out of the playoffs last ranking of the year, undefeated and still were taken out of that final four. Of course, a lot of backlash from that. But FSU came out, I think on Wednesday or Thursday today, that they will be holding a meeting Friday morning to basically, in so many words, think about boycotting and think about fighting the grant of rights that the ACC has with all their media partners. Basically, what this would entail is a very long legal battle. The ACC has repeatedly said that 
this grant of rights cannot be fought, that it is ironclad, and that anybody that would like to fight it would be on a very, very long court battle that would be spanned over years. For the FSU to leave the ACC, that would be the first step, however, is fighting this grant of rights. No team has ever fought the grant of rights in the ACC. Florida State, as we all know, over the last you know two, three years, they've been getting increasingly upset with the ACC. They're behind in revenue between the big powerhouse schools. And I think FSU looks at themselves as a higher tier team. They want to get back to, uh, you know, just more recognition that they deserve. And of course, this last year being left out of the college football playoffs, I think was the final straw for them. So board of trustees meeting Friday uh, to think about fighting these grant of rights in the ACC and being on their first steps to get out of the conference that, as we all talked before Justin in the past on this show, it's we're, we're we think the ACC might be uh, fizzling out here over the next four or five years. Yeah, it's probably going to be fizzling out. And Florida being in Florida State being in SEC territory, they're probably going to get they're definitely looking to go to the SEC. And there's a lot of SEC biased. I know that the playoff with Alabama in, uh, you know, Florida State and then believe getting left out Michigan as the number one seed that's the big 10 but obviously with their scandal Florida State feels betrayed by this and they're not going to sue the committee or boycott the game or whatever but they're going to leave the ACC and I think they will be an SEC team because the SEC run strong through Florida and the rest of the Southeastern Conference. I think the contract of the ACC right now uh, with all teams in the ACC, with all their media partners, that this grant of rights that I'm referring to, I think it goes up until 2034. If they were to even win, they still have to pay a hefty $120 million early termination fee that, of course, the school would be happy to pay if it means getting into a higher better conference like the SEC or Big Ten. And I'm sure we'll hear more about it come come tomorrow about what ultimately was decided in this meeting and how FSU would like to proceed going forward. A lot of bowl games going on over the course of this week here, 24, 21st to the 28th. We got games on almost every day in that span. What we're going to do, Justin, me and you, going to pick two games each, so four games all together that we find the most intriguing from these uh, these games over the span of this week here. We're going to start with you. What is your first game that you find uh, intriguing coming up uh, You know, over this next week in the bowl games? Well, let's start off with tonight's game with Syracuse and USF in the Boca Raton Bowl. Syracuse fired head coach Dino Barbs last month after his eighth season at Syracuse uh, before the program hired Fran Brown as its next head coach. Earlier this month, playing quarterback for Syracuse is Grant Schrader. He had a season of 13 touchdown passes and six interceptions. Byron Brown is the quarterback for USF. 23 touchdowns and 11 interceptions on the year. Both teams at 6-6. and That will be tonight's game in the Boca Raton Bowl. My first game I'm going to go with, uh, of course, has to be West Virginia Mountaineers. Uh, my Mountaineers will be taking on the Tar Heels in the Duke Mayo Bowl. Of course, Drake May will not be playing for the Tar Heels. And West Virginia is just absolutely terrible at stopping the run, which is easily UNC's best option in this game. I think UNC is just the better team overall this year. Hampton 
is one of the best players in the league. So he's going to be an NFL running back for sure. That game will be uh, Wednesday, December 27th. Like I said, Duke Mayo Bowl, North Carolina, West Virginia. As much as I hate to say it, I think my uh, my, my Mountaineers will be having a struggle against the, the more talented UNC team. Okay, Justin, what is your second game that you want to break down coming up over this week? I'm going to go with Arizona and Oklahoma. That is a very big game. Arizona have been I have been big on Noah Fafita's play all season once he won the starting job and uh he was elevated to the Wildcats offense on a level that was competing with USC, Oregon and Washington. The emergence of the freshman quarterback has been huge for the Wildcats this season which has been spectacular since he took over against Washington and uh in the final week of September as the starter of each of the last eight games, Noah Fafida has thrown for 2,446 yards, 23 touchdowns to just five interceptions, 73% of his completion attempts. Arizona's offense ranks 22nd this season with 34.3 points per game, and they should have plenty of opportunities against an Oklahoma defense that is going to be missing some of its key contributors. The questions start with Oklahoma and whether they can compete without many star players. Can Oklahoma's offense still perform at an elite level without Dylan Gabriel at the controls? Jackson Arnold has been incredible in his limited time leading the Sooners offense, but being the starter is completely different. If 15 bowl practices under the new offensive coordinator, Seth Literal, are productive, the sky's the limit for what OU's offense is capable of. And I think that's hopefully they can run the ball here to keep up with Arizona. But I think this is going to be a very close game here as uh, Arizona and Oklahoma get going in the Alamo Bowl. All right, I'm going to go my next game, second game. I want to recap. JMU, Air Force. Of course, Air Force dropped off end of the year. Uh, once uh, their quarterback, excuse me, Sack Lair, suffered that knee injury, they ended the year with a four-game losing streak. JMU, better team, of course. However, their team is absolutely in shambles right now. Transitions on both the coaching staff and the players as well. JMU, of course, their uh, head coach, Kirk Spinetti, he's leaving for Indiana. He's taking seven assistants with him, including both of his coordinators. Offensive line coach and assistant head coach will take over as the acting head coach. And then Bob Chesney comes in to take over after the bowl game. So many staffers left JMU for Bloomington that it's just going to be a completely, completely different team on the sideline. Uh, it's not, and like I said, it's not just the transition of the coaching staff. JMU has four offensive starters, including Sun Belt player of the year, Jordan McLeod, and five defensive starters. So this JMU team is just a completely different team than we saw at the beginning of the year. And it's going to be just an ugly game, all things considered. I still think JMU is going to take over this game and win, but yeah, it's just going to be an ugly, ugly game, all things considered. All right, before we're moving on to Eli, let's do our complaintives of the week. We'll start with you. What is your complaintive of the week? So my complaintive of the week is Shannon Sharp and really the media's treatment of Tua Tangavailoa just to really cover up that he has been concussed a lot and really cover up for the NFL almost. Uh, that's suspicious, but Shannon Sharp did say Tua shouldn't keep a receipt of his media doubters. That's what motivates great players to success is when they doubt you. 
I'm sure Shannon Sharp has done that. I'm sure other former players has done that. But Tua is definitely mistreated a little bit by the media. And for the Dolphins to get to the Super Bowl, I kind of hope that happens. I hope they win the AFC. In my opinion, I think that so Tua can really throw the dagger back in their faces, throw it back in their faces, and hope that the Dolphins can get back can get to the Super Bowl in the AFC. I know Tua hasn't played a playoff game yet, but if they're the number one seed and or they even win the division, they are going to have a home playoff game for yep. sure. So I think the I think Tua is a very underrated quarterback. He is no game manager. He might be in the top ten yep. for the Dolphins, not just with the weapons around him, but I think Tua is a successful quarterback and he has stayed healthy this year. When he plays he Dolphins are definitely a better team when he's on the field for sure. And they're not the same team when he doesn't play. A hundred percent. And they are a flashy. I mean, he's not flashy to, to be honest, yeah. but that offense around him is flashy, but he deserves a lot of credit. My complaintive NFL suspending the Steelers, uh, DeMonte Casey for the illegal hit on Michael Pittman last Saturday, suspending him for the entire rest of the year is a bit too much. I mean, he's not known as a player to be malicious. Suspend him for the rest of the year and potential even playoff games, you know, if the Steelers were to make the playoffs. I think that's ridiculous. I think that was way too much of a penalty. He wasn't trying to hurt Michael Pittman anymore, defensive players in the NFL, just trying to make plays on the ball. Sometimes they're unable to, and it leads to targeting. That's not a good enough case to suspend the player for the whole rest of the season. Maybe like one or two games, but to have him be out for the whole rest of this season. And then again, potential playoff games as well uh, in the suspension. I think that was just way too much. And uh, yeah, way too much of a penalty for a defensive player. Like I said, it has no history of being a malicious player and was really just trying to make a play on the ball. All right, moving on. Eli Savor, breaking down Grizzlies. Uh, John Morant's return. Marcus Smart, soon behind him as well. Awesome interview with him. Let's head to the Midwest and talk to Eli talk all things Grizzlies. Heading west, talk to recurring guest Eli Savoy, Sports 56 WHBK or WHBQ, excuse me, on air 1 to 3 Central Time. Eli, how you been? It's been uh 3 4 months since we last talked. Uh how have you been? How things been so far with you? Uh, I've been doing good. Uh, better than the Grizzlies, uh, that's for sure, over the first 25 games of the right. season. Well, let's get into that. That's why I uh, had to have you on. John Morant, of course, came back Tuesday night. We're, we're This will come out on Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday, so the day after his return in New Orleans. Awesome night, all things considered. 35 minutes. Ex- I mean, more than expected he would play. I, would even, I mean, I think you would say the same. 34 points. Uh, six rebounds, eight assists, played an absolute amazing game, and of course had the game-winning buzzer beater at the end as well. What it just took me just through your thoughts just on his return, his first game back, how well he played considering that he's been out, you know, since, you know, even last year that he had a, that first 25-game suspension. I mean, were you surprised he played so much? Were you supply, surprised he played as well as he did even uh, just coming back in New Orleans last night? Yeah, I think the minutes certainly um, were a bit of a surprise and probably even a little surprise to him. He talked about after the game how, you know, fatigue was real. Like he was certainly feeling it at the end of the game. He talked about in the last timeout huddle, he had the massage gun on his calves because he was certainly feeling it. And he even talked about the fact that he, on that last play, kind of wanted to go to Jaron Jackson Jr. 
Um, but then Desmond Bain kind of stepped in and said, no, you need to do this. You need to, you know, make the play yourself. And, and of course he ends up getting the, the game winner, but um, you know, last night just showed what this team missed in the first 25 games. And when you're without a player of this caliber, um, the difference that it makes because Jared Jackson Jr. was an all-star last year. Desmond Bain is you know playing at an all-star level, but there's all-stars and then there's superstars. And when you've got a superstar guy, they these are plays they can make. You just put the ball in their hands. You let them take over games. And in the final minute of that game, that's basically what he did. He, he had the last three shots, including the game winner. Um, even as he says, battling fatigue, he's still that good. And, you know, it, it eases the burden on everybody else. It makes life a heck of a lot easier on everybody else. And it just was a quick reminder last night of what it means to have one of those guys. There's only a few of those elite guys in the league, and he is one of them. And so obviously now after Tuesday night, Memphis 7 and 19, uh, out of, I mean, if, long way to go. But if, you know, if playoffs started today, would be out of the playoffs. Obviously, like I said, long way to go. But that being said, I mean, with that in mind, is there real, you know, is there real uh, optimism that, things are going to really turn around in Memphis now with him coming back. And of course, Marcus Smart coming back soon too, which we'll get into in a sec. But, um, you know, we saw it last night, like you alluded to, Eli. I mean, just how much more coherent the unit looked on the court with him back and how much better the team seemed to play. And so there's a real optimism that the team is going to bounce up to that at least top 10 spot, uh, despite the slow start they had uh, in the start of the year this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there's a heck of a lot more optimism now than there was a couple of days ago. But it's um, if you look at it, obviously they would have loved to have won more games of those 25. Um, and there were some disappointing performances in their games. They probably should have still won. Um, but in the end, now you're seven and 19. Um, so that's 56 games remaining for the season. Last year, you needed 40 wins basically to get into the play in. If you assume that it's going to be pretty similar, that you know you got to be right around the 500 mark for the year. Well, 56 games. If you need to win 30, uh, would be 35 of those, 34 of those. Um, that's certainly doable when you look at that. 34 and 22 with Ja. Mm-hmm. If you do get Marcus Smart, Luke Kennard, everybody's healthy. Now, granted, that relies on those guys staying healthy. Jaw's not going to play every one of those games. We know that he'll miss some along the way for various reasons. But if you stay relatively healthy with what you've got, uh, certainly I think winning 34 games the rest of the way is very realistic. Last year in games that John Morant played, they basically won two out of every three. Um, So if you do that and he plays, you know, most of the games, if he plays, say, 50 of the remaining games, certainly they got an opportunity to get into that play in. If they get into the play-in, they're certainly, um, again, if they're healthy at that point, going to be a very dangerous team that there will be a one or a two seed out there possibly in the Western Conference who's not going to be really thrilled if the Memphis Grizzlies are their first-round opponent. They're going to they're going to no. think they deserve better as a one or two seed. So they could strike up some fear into some team if they are able to get into that play-in and find their way in the playoffs. Were you surprised – that they struggled as much as they did. I mean, I know you just kind of alluded to it, but were you surprised they struggled as much as they did these, these first 25 games of the season? I mean, last year, John Morant missed time as well for the same issues he had uh, in this past suspension. And the 
Grizzlies still finished second in the West. And I know you mentioned the injuries. That's been a big part of it, I'm sure. I mean, obviously, Steven Adams is out. Brendan Clark's out. Uh, Evan Tillman's out. And Marcus Smart has yet to, has, has yet to uh, play yet. So, I mean, has that been pr- pretty much the biggest injury or the biggest reason for the Memphis Grizzlies struggling so far has just been the injuries and just, uh, you know, obviously besides John Morant being out, of course? Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. When you look at, um, while they've had Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain, both have been healthy and playing. Certainly, and that's two really good players. Again, two you know borderline all-star players. But when you look at what's been around them, once Smart went out, Luke Kennard out, you started the season with Steven Adams out for the year, Brandon Clark out for the year. Um, it's it's just difficult. I mean, you were it, you look at that roster some nights that they threw out there, and even when Jaron and Desmond had big games, there just wasn't enough support around them um, to win. Now, yeah, there were still some games they very well should have won. I mean, Houston is a terrible road team. Uh, The Grizzlies had a double-digit lead on them at halftime, and they blew that the other night. You know, they let Utah come in to FedEx Forum and beat them twice. I mean, only one home win to this point. That's the part that's probably the most surprising. I would have thought they could at least, you know, you would steal a couple more of the home games. That's been very disappointing, and uh, they've got to get back to what they were last year. That was a dominant home floor team uh, the rest of the way if they're going to try and find their way into the playoffs. Yeah, they had the best home record of – any team last yep. year, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like they had the best home home record of any team, I think, last year. Describe Bain. How has Bain been being the uh, primary ball hand? Well, definitely the b- primary ball handler, but not even that. Just the the playmaker uh, for the backcourt for the Grizzlies. How has he been able to handle that responsibility? I know he's, as you would expect, has a career high in turnovers right now, but also it has a career high in assists, which also you would expect for being the primary. Uh, playmaker, but just how has he overall taken on that role and how has he performed in that role? He's been fantastic all year. I mean, he's, you know, and he is really, his game has evolved year after year after year. He, when he first came in the league, he was a great shooter and that was kind of his game, but they have worked hard. He has worked really hard at becoming more of a playmaker and he, he has done really well at that. But the, 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 the thing with him is, you know, without Ja, without smart, all these guys, it, all the attention's on him and Jaron Jackson Jr. And so all the attention on the perimeter. So it's hard for him to find open shots um, because he doesn't have, you know, they know that he's the best shooter on the team. Plus now he is really the main scorer, the main playmaker, everything. So defenses are were geared towards trying to stop Desmond Bain. And still he's averaging 24 points and five assists. So it tells you how good he has been, but getting job back, certainly makes it a lot easier on him in order to try and be um, the the secondary guy. Once again, is, is a way better role for him. Yeah. Go back to being that three point shooter that he's so good to be. I know that's been definitely something that's been taken away from him a little bit, given that he had to be more of the playmaker. Is that, has that been true? Is his, I know that was a, a big part of his game last year was just his ability to uh, drain threes and be a uh, lights out three point shooter for the Grizzlies. But it has that kind of, gone down has that production gone down but beyond the arc uh, after him you know taking on a different role with Morant being out not really I mean he's still you know he's she's shooting up around 40 percent I think it's a little bit below 40 percent on the year um you know he's making three and a half four threes per game you know it's it's been a little more difficult again because teams are focused on him and there's not a that guy like Ja drawing all of the attention mm-hmm. from him but but I do think um you know as 
jog with job back. And especially when these other guys get healthy and defenses have to consider, continue to think more and more about them. Um, then I think he'll, his shooting numbers will, will get even better. And he'll be back up over 40% like he was uh, last year and how, where he has been in his career, where he's been um, one of the league leaders in three point percentage. Well, Eli, we mentioned injuries earlier in the interview and I want to, ask you about Brendan Clark and then especially Marcus Smart. Any indication as to when they might be uh, expected to return to the uh, to the lineup? Well, Marcus Smart, uh, Taylor Jenkins last week, I think it was last week, said that they were hoping Marcus Smart would be back sometime this week. He had said the, the, the Indiana game, which is tomorrow night, or the Atlanta game, which is coming up this weekend. So, you know, this is, we're right at the five-week mark. And when he first went out, they said three to five weeks. So the thought is he should be back this week. And then Luke Kennard, who's also been out, um, he's expected back probably next week. Brandon Clark coming off an Achilles injury. Um, there's really no indication. There's hope that he will be able to return this season, uh, but no real timetable on when that might be. Um you know, coming back from an Achilles injury to play basketball is always a questionable thing. So uh, there's a chance he doesn't play at all this year, but uh, they are hoping that he will be able to make it back at some point, probably um, late in the season. All right. Yeah, that's uh, I know Steven Adams is still off for the rest of the season. Is that correct? He's going to be off for the rest of the season with that. I think he had knee, knee surgery, right? His right knee had he had surgery on his knee. Yeah, he um, they he, he was a weird situation because um, last week or last season when he got hurt, they originally announced that as a three to five week that he would be out. He ended up not ever being able to come back next year, went through the off season. The thought was he was okay. He reported for camp was okay. Played in a couple of preseason games. And then suddenly a couple of days before the season opener, they announced that he was going to have surgery and he was done for the year. So um, weird, weird situation around Steven Adams, but yeah, he is, he will not be back at all this season regardless. Well, I know Evan Tillman's out now. Also, he was going to be the backup for Adams, and I think they brought in Beyond. How has Biombo been uh, to kind of uh, take up that space, take up that time that is missing with Adams and Tillman? You know, Biombo has been fantastic, um, and and they made the decision that they're going to keep him for the rest of the year. They released Kenneth Lofton Jr. to create a roster spot once John Morant's suspension was over. Um, and Biombo's been good. Like he, he does what he does. He's, he's not much of an offensive threat, but they don't need him to be. They want him to rebound. They want him to block some shots. He went through a little bit of a, a bad stretch here recently, but last night he was good. Once again, Xavier Tillman is healthy right now, played last night and played pretty well. Um, so hopefully, you know, those two guys can hold down that center position and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. can slide over and play center some as well when they go with Sante Aldama at power forward spot. So now they've got a good rotation of big guys in there. Um, and, and certainly, again, they don't need much offense out of any of those guys other than Jaron Jackson Jr. They just need him to rebound and play defense. And that's all they're asking. Well, Eli, I'm hoping for the best for the Grizzlies. I mean, they could. What do you think? They're going to be one of the hottest teams probably in, uh, you know, January, February. Once they get their full lineup back and getting getting healthy again and getting into a flow again, it might take a little bit of time. Uh, what? Just my last question for you before we head on out here. I mean, are the fans pretty patient that with Morant being back and then Marcus Smart coming into the lineup that it might take a month or two to get the, you know, flow of things going again and get comfortable with each other, playing with each other? Uh, and it might take, you know, February or, you know, late February, early March until – the team really starts cooking. 
Well, that's, you know, obviously Ja and, and Marcus Smart have not played together in a back. They have, they've practiced, but they haven't played. Uh, but that the unfortunate part is they don't have time for that. They, they can't be patient because when you're seven and 19, if you want to try and make the playoffs, you, you can't afford to really have any kind of uh, a slow learning curve here. They're mm-hmm. going to have to figure it out on the fly and it's going to have to work. And, and that's unfortunate. It's, it's probably, it might be asking too much, but when you're talking about Marcus Smart, who's used to playing alongside superstars because he did it with Jason Tatum and, and Brown, Jalen Brown in Boston, he understands kind of how to play off of those types of players. Hopefully that helps his transition here. And uh, it certainly can't hurt to have Marcus Smart healthy and alongside John Moran. But yeah, there's certainly, I think, will be a, bit, a little bit of a learning curve. But again, they, they've got to win a lot of basketball games here over this, this final stretch of the season if they're going to try and find their way into the postseason. Yeah, it's almost like a roll of the dice almost. We don't really know how they're going to play together once they start, you know, taking that backcourt together. So it's going to be like, and you said, they don't have time. They don't have, well, not even time. They don't have that buffer to really be learning. They don't have a buffer to really be losing any more games here. They have to kind of learn fast and learn on the fly. And uh, that's going to be what the fans expect going forward. So, well, Eli, this has been awesome. I really do appreciate your time again. This has uh, been a fun talk, always is. And I loved you coming on, giving us some breakdown of the Grizzlies. And we're all excited to see Morant back. I mean, Grizzlies fans, or not he's the most exciting player in the league probably so i mean it's we're all excited to see him back and i'm I'm excited to see how the grizzlies do going on the stretch here you're not nearly as excited as the people in memphis are to see him back that's for sure i bet i bet and i'm sure he's learned his lesson and we can expect smooth sailing going forward for him so we we hope for that as well that's 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 the biggest hope is that lessons have been learned and we don't have to deal with any more of these issues Yes. All right, Eli. We'll be in touch, and we'll have you on again sometime soon, okay? Sounds great, man. Thank you. Always enjoy it. All right. Thanks, Eli. Take care. Okay, Justin, let's break down Thursday night football. Rams, Saints. Amazing offense right now versus an unstoppable defense. The Rams, Matthew Stafford, have been playing absolutely amazing on offense the last four games. Matthew Stafford throwing 12 touchdown passes. And only one interception while completing 76% of his passes in two of those games. Puka Nakua has been unstoppable. He ranks sixth in the NFL with 1,163 receiving yards. He's posted five 100-yard performances and has finished with at least 50 yards in all but four of his 14 outings. Cooper Cuff, he's coming back into his own after you know having a pretty uh, bad start to the year. He's eclipsed the 100-yard mark in his last two games and is a touchdown catch in three consecutive outings as well. So Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, Matthew Stafford, they've all been just absolutely lighting it up for the Rams offense, uh, especially these last four games. But they do go against a Saints defense that is arguably one of the best in the league. Saints have allowed only a pair of field goals in the last two games. Uh, Saints ranked sixth in the league against the pass with an average of 185.4 yards allowed through the air and are also sixth in points per minute per contest with only 19. Uh, New New Orleans is also fifth in interceptions at 14, eighth in turnover differential at plus five, and ninth in total takeaways at 22. Saints have a very uh, underrated defense. I mean, not many people are talking about the Saints and how well they've been playing on that side of the ball, but they're going to give... Matthew Stafford and this explosive Rams offense of late, definitely some problems. So it's going to be a really good matchup, whether it be the offense for L.A. or 
uh, the defense for New Orleans. It's, uh, that's who's ever going to win this game. It's going to be a really good game. Saints have a seven sacks in their last week's victory over the Giants. So, I mean, it's going to be this expect just some really, really tight numbers. And it's going to be a game that goes down to the stretch, I think. Let's finish up the show, though, man. Let's finish up with our makers and fakers like we always do at the end of Thursday's show. I'm going to start with you, Justin. What is your maker of the week? My maker of the week is the NFL streaming games on Peacock. I know it's not the best platform or even the best thing to do. I know streaming's popular, but commercial-free is definitely a big thing. I know the money is driven off of the commercials and the TV sponsors, but this is a good step for the NFL and a good step for streaming, which might not be popular, but I think the sh- I think that streaming the games on Peacock is a big help for the NFL, and I'm going to give them the maker of the week and a good and, and a good solution. Having less commercials, the NFL is content should continue with commercial free streaming and maybe even showing the players on the field during the warm-up, showing, giving a little access in stadium, I think it's a good solution to have less, to basically drive the ads down by 40%. My maker of the week, Tommy DeVito, not just for his play on the field, but for his actions off the field too. Tommy DeVito appeared at a pizza shop this past Tuesday, Nino's Old Fashioned in New Jersey. This was despite a contract dispute that DeVito's agent, Sean Stiletto, had with restaurant owner Nino Coniglio. The uh, The restaurant was supposed to pay a fee of $10,000 for DeVito's appearance. However, after DeVito took the starting quarterback job at the Giants and played so well, Coniglio's canceled the appearance after this raise, but DeVito ended up showing up for the event anyhow. DeVito's quickly becoming a fan favorite in New Jersey, not uh, not just rallying behind the team, but also just being a man of the people himself. One of the best stories in the NFL this year. He's awesome, awesome to root for, so fun to watch. Uh, and it's just a storyline that the NFL needed as we head into this end stretch of the season here. Justin, what was your faker this week? Faker of the week is Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin has had a winning season. I know he's had 500, you know, a season over 500 or or better in his career. But I think this is the first year where the Steelers finished last place in his tenure and they have a sub 500 season. And that is not an excuse to be like, oh, I think we should keep Mike Tomlin. I think the Steelers should have fired him. Uh, five years ago, at least, maybe even more than that, with the way uh, with the way things are going. I know they want continuity, and I know continuity is good, but Mike Tomlin might need to be moved on from. He's been there for 13 seasons now, or 15 seasons, 16 seasons as the coach of the Steelers, and it's time to move on. And it happens. Belichick might be time to move on from him in New England. Tomlin. I mean, there's coaches that sometimes you got to move on after 10 years, and you don't have to change everything up like the Browns or teams like the Jets every now and then and hire coaches every four years or less than that. But the Steelers might need to move on from Mike Tomlin if he has a sub-500 season, and I think that's a potential. I think that's potentially going to happen, but I wouldn't read too much into it.
Steelers don't do that, though. They don't fire coaches that really ever. I think they've had three coaches. They've had Noel, Cower, and Tomlin now. Yeah, I mean, it's been... They're not, they don't get rid of coaches. They don't move on from coaches. And I th- I still think Tomlin's one of the best coaches in the league, and I, he's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. But if he does, he could get another job, let's say. I still think somebody's going to swoop him up. Oh, my gosh, yes. They would be dumb not to. He's Like I said, he's still one of the best coaches in the league. Maybe just something with the Steelers. Maybe he just can't, you know, he's lost he, He's lost the locker room with the Steelers. I don't who knows? Who knows what it is? But if he went somewhere else, he would still dominate because he's still one of the best coaches in the league. That's no doubt about that. My, I'm gonna for my make faker. Excuse me for my faker. I'm gonna stick with the Steelers as well. Uh, Pickens, Pickens has been showing a certain lack of effort on a lot of plays this season. One in particular, this past Saturday, when he did not block for running back Jalen Warren at the goal line stand in the first quarter. Uh, when the Steelers played Indianapolis, of course. He got a lot of scrutiny for this. It showed his lack of effort once again. Like I said, he's been showing a lot of lack of effort for a lot of plays this season, and this was the final straw for many Steeler fans. Not wanting to get injured should not be your reasoning for not blocking. He did say that, you know, running plays, a lot of the times, they do lead to injuries, especially on blocking at the goal line. So uh, he did double down blaming the media for changing the narrative about what he said and not put in effort because of injury. He should be spending more time and focusing more on, um, you know, getting open, catching balls. He's my faker of the week for sure. Under the spotlight for Steeler fans, for sure, given uh, his lack of effort uh, he's had over over these years. All right, Justin, back on uh, Saturday, going to have on uh, Talk Orlando Magic with Jamie Shea. Uh, Jamie Shea, excuse me. Awesome interview with her. Magic, one of the best teams in the East right now. And we're going to talk to her, to her about how they were able to do that and what they've been doing successfully. So, yeah, we'll see you Saturday. Keep on traveling.